Live from Lemur Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you to download our app right now by going to uh, the... Where download the app by going to Facebook. <laughs> it's one of those one of the one of those days. Download the app by going to the app store, uh, Spotify, uh, anywhere. <laughs> so many places to get the app of our program and listen at your leisure. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of this program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, so many places to get the podcast and listen at your leisure. Should you miss us any day in real time? But I am delighted. To have you along live with us today. I don't know what that was about. Just my mind just left me for a second about how to get our app. It's pretty simple. You go to the app store and download the app and take us with you anywhere in the world and listen to us in real time. Uh, delighted to have you along though live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour. What's it like being a longtime drug addict and witnessing 50 or 60 deaths from overdose, including your wife? We will tell you how that reality impacted Thomas Gooch, how it spurred his current work and witness and how unequal access to treatment has caused the opioid epidemic to surge in the black community. Thomas Gooch joins us today in our two. In our third hour, two conversations. Up first, this year's NAACP Image Award winner for Outstanding Literary Work, Crystal Wilkinson joins us to talk about her book of poetry, Perfect Black. On the B side of our three, starting two years ago with mostly double-digit views per video, the Hollingsworth family never imagined that their children's YouTube series, Gracie's Corner, would grow into a national sensation, racking up tens of millions of views per month. An educational cartoon for children featuring mostly black and brown characters, the channel introduces soulful nursery rhymes incorporated with elements of hip-hop, reggae, Afrobeat, and pop, all voiced by the Hollingsworth's daughter, Gracie. The family-friendly content highlights black culture, breaks uh, boundaries in education, and empowers viewers, as you might imagine, in a very unique way. We will talk with the patriarch of the Hollingsworth family, Dr. Javaris Hollingsworth, on the backside of our three. But in this first hour today, let's talk politics with influential commentator, best-selling author, and former Clinton White House aide, Keith Boykin. Keith has been far too long, my friend. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well, Travis. How are you doing? I think I'm okay. I just I got to wake up, man. It's one of those we've been we've been we've been pushing really hard around here. We have a big event celebrating Karen Bass this weekend. I I need some sleep, which is funny because we had a hour conversation yesterday uh, about uh, what happens when you are deprived of sleep, and that, that's that's exactly what happens. You just have a, uh, a a brain loss in the middle of a conversation. But I'm doing well. Otherwise, how are you doing, my friend? I understand completely what that means not to have sleep. That's been my life for the past year. <laughs> and especially after yesterday, I'm, I'm glad the election results came in early out of Georgia. So I had to stay up all night watching that. Yeah, you know, I was thinking the same thing. I was up last night uh, uh, waiting for some numbers to come in. And I was um, concerned uh, because this race was so tight at one point. We were told that uh, even even earlier in the day yesterday, as I recall, 
We were told by um, authorities in Georgia that they might not have results same day, same night. That did not turn out to be the case. Let's start right there. What do you make of the fact that this race, again, that had been so close, turned out to be not so close last night? Well, um, it turned out to be not so close after a long nail-biter of an evening. Mm -hmm. And partly that was because of the way the votes are reported, as you know, uh, because the first votes that came in, the first tranche, were early votes. And the early votes predominantly swing toward the Democrats. And so Raphael Warnock took an early lead. Then the same-day votes came in after that. And those votes tend to swing more toward the Republicans. So then we saw Herschel Walker take the lead. And then we saw a seesaw going back and forth all night between the two candidates until later in the evening. And finally, it was clear that based on the precincts that were unreported, uh, that Herschel Walker was not performing up to where he needed to be in order to win the election and that Raphael Warnock was going to win. Yeah. Um, what do you, there's so much to talk about, and I'm glad we got the hour. We'll spend some, some time on this and then move to some other issues because there are obviously some tentacles that offshoot the result in Georgia last night for the Senate, uh, for a divided Congress, for Donald Trump, for Joe Biden, all kinds of issues to talk about in this hour with Keith Boykin. Uh, but let me, let me come at this another way. Again, at, at, at earlier points in this process, um, this race had been much, much tighter. Um, what do you make of the fact that uh, in the end, Raphael Warnock was able to pull this out? And the numbers that I've been looking at suggest that he delivered as Democrats hoped he would deliver in a variety of ways on a number of le- different levels. Oh, I see what you're saying. And maybe that was the question I mentioned. No, 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 no. You answered the right. You answered it right the first time. I just want to come at it a different way now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, I, th- I think Raphael Warnock is an excellent candidate, and he did really well last night. Uh, he has run now, what is it, four races in Georgia the past two years? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the general election last year, the runoff last year, the general election and the runoff this year. He's proven himself to be a winner in each of those four elections. Um, and so I think he has a turnout operation and the ground operation that was very effective. He has a, a compelling message and a life story that resonates with people. And black voters, quite honestly, turned out for him. Black voters made the difference, you know, to, to be very blunt and honest. If it were left to white voters, uh, there's no chance that Raphael Warnock would be United States senator. The majority mm-hmm. of white people voted for Herschel Walker. Uh, and the majority of white people continue to vote for Republicans all across the country. So black voters essentially saved the Democratic Party uh, last night. And uh, Raphael Warnock, an excellent candidate, of course, we know uh, the heir to Dr. King's uh, legacy as the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, um, was the, the candidate that black people wanted to represent, represent us. Uh, and, and if you look at the juxtaposition between Herschel Walker on the one hand, this football player who once lived in, lived in Georgia, was born in Georgia, and, and played football at the University of Georgia, but has spent the past few decades living in Texas. And they brought him back all the way to Georgia simply because they felt that he was a black candidate who could possibly take on an incumbent black senator. That's a kind of like, cynical uh, racial identity politics that Republicans have been playing mm-hmm. for, for decades now. And uh, I think the people in Georgia were smart enough to see through that. Yep. A lot to talk about in this hour with uh, Keith Borkin just getting started talking about what happened in Georgia last night and all of the takeaways from that all important race that now give uh, Democrats 51 votes in the U.S. Senate. 
a uh, bit of a cushion now so they don't have to tiptoe perhaps as much around mansion and cinema which i'm tired of talking about for the last couple of years uh but again keith borkin our guest in this hour former clinton white house aide best-selling author and national political commentator but today he's talking to you on kbla talk 1580 conversations that matter matter you're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Indeed you are. You're listening to Tavis Smiley and Keith Borking on KBLA Talk 1580, talking about uh, the race last night and uh, a number of other political issues that we were trending issues that we'll get to uh, in this hour. Um, Keith, let me go back to Georgia and, and stay there for, for a second. You, you raised this notion a moment ago of racial identity politics. This is an old conversation. It's well-worn, as you certainly uh, know. Um, but what, to your mind, did last night um, the results of last night say to you about racial identity politics in America in the years ahead? Well, you know, there's two sorts, there's two different ways to look at this. Mm-hmm. One is that Republicans have spent the past two decades complaining that Democrats play racial identity politics. And that's why they said they chose Barack Obama and, and, and all these other people. And they also said that the, the same thing about identity politics with Hillary Clinton. But the truth is that Republicans are the ones that have identity politics in the past few years because they do a very cynical thing. Whenever they see black people or women or people of color performing well, they go and try to find somebody to do their <laughs> thing who's not qualified. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, that's the thing. You know, the Democrats have been picking people who have been qualified to do these jobs. When, when, Democrats, nom- when Democrats almost picked Hillary Clinton uh, in 2008, John McCain went and picked Sarah Palin who had no experience to be vice president of the United States, but because she was a woman, they picked her. Uh, remember when, when Thurgood Marshall retired from the Supreme Court? Who did, who did George Bush replace him with? Clarence Thomas, who was mm-hmm. completely woefully inadequately qualified to, to, to sit on the Supreme Court to replace Thurgood Marshall. And even when Barack Obama ran for the United States Senate, uh, after their original Republican candidate dropped out, who did they pick? Alan Keyes, just, uh, this no-name Republican black guy from Maryland, they imported him into Illinois to run against right. Barack Obama because Barack <laughs> Obama was, was a black guy. I mean, this is the kind of cynical politics they've been engaging in for years. So it's not surprising they would do the same thing in Georgia. They say, hey, there's a black guy who won in Georgia. Let's get another black guy to run against him because that'll win. Yeah. I, it's, it's Donald Trump has taken this to a different level. And I think, I think if there's anything that maybe could come out of this, that maybe the Republicans will slowly start to break the love affair with Donald Trump, but I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. And I think that, like I said, the most important thing for people to understand out of this election is that white Americans, white Americans continue to vote for Republican candidates, irrespective of how unqualified they are. Herschel Walker is probably one of the most manifestly unqualified candidates I've ever seen to run for the United States Senate for a major, on a major party ticket. And you know what? White voters continue to vote for him and support him regardless of that. They were the only racial demographic group in Georgia that supported him. Not black voters, not Hispanic voters, not Asian American voters, not people of color in general. It was only white voters who voted for Herschel Walker. In spite of everything they knew about his lies, in spite of everything they knew about about his the abortions that he allegedly paid for, in spite of everything they knew about about his, his history of violence toward women, in spite of everything they knew about the, 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 the record of having no experience, and in spite of everything they knew about him not even living in the state of Georgia, they still voted for him. 
Mm. What does that tell you about race in America? It's not just racial identity politics, it's about race in America. They wanted somebody like Herschel Walker because they knew they could control him. I want to come back to that question that you posed just now, not at all hypothetically. What does it tell you about race in America? I want to come back to that, put a pin in it. I also want to come back to your comment about Donald Trump and whether or not this means that they will start to uh, to break the love affair with him. We'll come back to that as well. Before I do either of those, well, let me stay with this other comment that you made that I want to give you a chance to, to unpack for us. And that is whether or not you think that, and I, I sort of teed this up with one of our guests yesterday, but not in this particular way, Keith, whether or not you think that Democrats um, this time around were able to stave off a red wave, not because they were so all that and then some, uh, but in part because the Republicans picked so many Herschel Walker-like bad candidates across the country. <laughs> I think that's exactly right, Tavis. What happened in state after state, we saw this with Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, with Carrie Lake in Arizona, and just candidate after candidate, where Republicans picked people because Trump basically coronated the, that mm-hmm. person, people who had no experience in politics, people who were essentially celebrities in the Trump mode, people who were election deniers, uh, and they thought that they could just sort of pull the wool over the eyes of the voters and that they were going to go along with it. But even Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, was worried about this issue during the summer when he complained that candidate quality was one of the real issues that was uh, facing the Republican Party. Normally, in an off-year election, midterm election, the party out of power gains seats in the Senate. In this case, this is the first time in, in, in 88 years, since 1924, when the, the, the party in power, um, the Democratic Party in this case, um, has not lost a single seat in uh, a midterm election or in, 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 in any election like this. This is just un, unheard of to have mm-hmm. something like this happen. So um, it's a reflection, I think, of just how much they overreached, these MAGA candidates, these extremists, the people who said that, that, that the January 6th insurrection was legitimate political discourse. And they tried everything they could, Tavis, in Georgia and other places to try to prevent us from voting. You know, Raphael Warnock spoke about this last night when he talked about don't let anybody assume that just because we won, that means that voter suppression doesn't exist in Georgia. Mm-hmm. It clearly does. They passed a law to ban water and food to dis- distribution in the long line that they were creating. They banned voter registration between the general election and the runoff last year. Last time, thousands of people registered. This time, you couldn't do that. They closed drop-off boxes. They, they required voter ID just for mail-in ballots, which they've never done before. And they even deputized people to essentially call in what they thought might be cases of fraud if they saw somebody committing fraud, which we know historically, statistically, doesn't even exist. But they wanted to create this perception that the only way black people could win, the only way Democrats could win is if, if they cheated. And instead, they threw every roadblock in the way, and they still lost in the state of Georgia, a Republican state. I mean, it's, it's history. There's only been 11 black senators in history, first of all, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, and Raphael Warnock is now the first black Democrat from the South to be elected to a full term in the United States Senate. No, it was historic. Uh, no question about that. Um, let's get back to these white people that you <laughs> referenced a moment ago, the good white people in Georgia. Um, the only category uh, that voted uh, for Herschel Walker in that race last night and voted for him overwhelmingly. Um, uh, the data is pretty clear about that. Um, I recall, as do you, Keith Borkin, I think you and I had conversations about this around this time. Uh, when Barack Obama was elected, and you, you remember folks started advancing that notion that we now live in a post-racial America? <laughs> 
Yeah, you, you, you remember that, right? Yeah. All the conversation ab ab about post-racial America. Well, I guess last night, if we needed more evidence that we are not yet in, even after the first black president and the first black vice president, we are not yet living, if we ever will, in a post-racial America. So let me put the question to you that you pose somewhat rhetorically, but I want to pose um, <laughs> directly uh, and seriously to you, which is what do you make of? What last night says to us about race relations in this country? I think we're still a racially divided country. We will continue to be so until our country finally comes to terms with the, the, the main issue of white supremacy mm. uh, in, in our country. You know, there was a statement that Raphael Warnock made years and years ago that the Republicans tried to use against him where he said the country needs to repent for its history of, of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. But he was speaking the truth. Yeah. I mean, in South Africa, after they left apartheid in the 1990s, they created a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to go back and look at what happened, to have some sort of accountability. In this country, we have never done that. Yeah. We swept it under the rug, pretended like it didn't happen, and tried to pretend like everybody was equal. When Barack Obama was elected, there were a lot of people, as you know, were saying it was a, a post-racial America. But the truth is, the majority of white people did not vote for Barack Obama in either of his two elections. Mm -hmm. They did not vote for him in 2008, and they did not vote for him in 2012. But you know who, the, who they did vote for? Donald Trump mm -hmm. in two consecutive elections. Yep. That alone is the indictment of, of white America in our racial politics, that white people were willing to vote for an unqualified TV star, celebrity uh, apprentice host, just because he was talking a good game or whatever, with no experience in government, the first president in history elected with no experience whatsoever in government. But they weren't willing to vote for an African-American United States senator who spent his life working on issues that were important to our country. And yet they were still taking credit for him. People like Mitch McConnell were saying, well, we elected a black president. What else do you want? Mm -hmm. How do you take credit for something you had nothing to do with? Yeah. During, during that era where everybody was talking about this post-racial America that we had magically you know, ushered our way into because of the election of Barack Obama, one of the arguments that I made, and I made many, and I know you made many, all of us you know, were pushing back on this nonsense, at least most of us were, um, but one of the arguments I made then was that we are not living in a post-racial America. We may, may be living in a less racist America but certainly not a post-racial America. I'm wondering if after last night, Keith, I need to rethink my frame about America being even less racist. Well, I, I don't think that America has ever become less racist because of exactly the reason I mentioned before. We never had that, that conversation, that mm -hmm. come to Jesus moment where we talk about our history. Yeah. And I don't think we will ever become less racist just because we have more diversity doesn't change anything. In fact, it actually makes things worse. The subject of my last book, Race Against Time, yes. Politics of a Dark in America, was all about the whole notion of white Americans have become so afraid of the diversity of the country, the black and browning of America, that they are becoming more entrenched. You're going to see more backlash over the course of the next few years and decades. That's why we had an insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. So I don't I don't think that our country is even anywhere less racist. And the fact that, again, that they voted for Herschel Walker, and, you know, some people will say, well, he, we voted for a black guy, so that, that shows that we're not racist. We voted for Tim Scott. We voted for Herschel Walker, and, and we support Clarence Thomas. The, you notice the only black people they support are the black people who are not supported by the rest of black, <laughs> black communities. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I take your point. I'm looking at my clock here. I got the news, traffic, and sports in two minutes. Let me ask you this one, and then we'll continue on the other side. Um, you raised this earlier, and it, it's been discussed before, but it's worth putting a finer point on the day after, and that is that this particular party, which makes the issue of uh, of uh, uh, of uh, abortion. Uh, a top priority for them. It's the reason why they stack the Supreme Court the way they do. This issue is sacrosanct for them. They have been r- running and riding on this issue uh, for, for many, many years now. And yet in this race, as you pointed out very clearly, and others have as well, they went for a guy who is uh, has allegedly um, paid for a number of these um, procedures. Um, what does that say to you about the integrity of the right, the integrity of their argument? Now, you know I can't answer that in the one minute you have before you get that's, to the that's, that's why I said. That's why I said, get, get me started. We'll continue, man. I got more time on the other side. <laughs> okay. But, you know, it shows the hypocrisy of the party again. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you say that you're a pro-life party and you believe in family values and you vote for somebody like, like Herschel Walker or even Donald Trump? You know, that, it's, it's a stunning reflection of the fact that, the, you know, I hate when people say that evangelicals believe this and evangelicals believe that. Because the truth is, when they say that, they're talking about white evangelicals. And I yeah. need them to speak more precisely about sure. that. Because black evangelicals, black evangelicals didn't go vote for Herschel Walker. Mm-hmm. Black evangelicals didn't go vote for Donald Trump. Black evangelicals understood there was a racial component in our country that still has not been addressed. And those same... And, and, and the white evangelicals... Yeah, and, th- and those same white evangelicals in Georgia could not bring themselves to vote for a black evangelical who pastors King's Church named Raphael Warnock. I mean, that always uh, was, was fascinating for me. Um, I didn't expect him to cross over in droves, but if ever there is a black candidate you go- you're going to vote for, it would be a black moderate who's pastoring the church of the guy that you all seem to like so much, MLK, who is, in fact, and an evangelical himself. Him. Yeah, and always exactly. They're always calling no, Dr. King, but the, then when Dr. King, <laughs> the pastor of Dr. King's church, is is up for a ballot, they won't even vote for him. They'll vote for an unqualified outsider, carpetbagger, football player over the pastor of Dr. King's church. You, every one of them, they should never be allowed to even mention the words from Dr. King's speeches ever again because of that. As you can tell, Keith's blood pressure is getting up. He is awake now. I am awake now, and we're glad to have you with us. Keith Borkin, author of the book Race Against Time, The Politics of a Darkening America, which I will get to, of course, on the other side, with a great deal more to talk about. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Broadcasting live from Lamar Park, USA. Welcome back to your home for unapologetically progressive radio, KBLA Talk 1580. All right, Keith Borkin, as promised, we'll get back to you and let you finish the point you wanted to make when I only gave you a minute to get this started before news, traffic, and sports. Our guest in this hour is Keith Borkin. We're talking politics, all kinds of politics in this hour, given what happened last night uh, in Georgia, where Raphael Warnock uh, went on to victory last night, giving Democrats the 51st vote they uh Needed and wanted, uh, not needed, they were going to control the Senate either way, but uh, they got a bit of a cushion now with this 51st vote uh, given uh, Warnock's victory last night in Georgia. Keith Borkin, uh, national political commentator, New York Times bestselling author, former White House aide to President Bill Clinton, and author most recently of the book Race Against Time, The Politics of a Darkening America. Uh, I'd ask uh, Keith before news, traffic, and sports uh, uh, how he processed uh, that this party uh, that so values uh, um, the issue of uh, right to life uh, and, uh, and always puts abortion at the top of the list of issues that matter most to them. 
could see their way to not just voting uh, for a, a man who allegedly uh, has paid for a number of these procedures, uh, according to women who came forth during the campaign. But beyond that, that these that these white evangelicals in Georgia uh, could not bring themselves to vote for a black evangelical who pastors the church once um, pastored by Dr. King and his father, co-pastored by King and his father, Daddy King. Uh, none of that seems to make sense in, 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 in one realm. In another realm, you know, we, we totally get it. Uh, you know, white supremacy is still alive and well in this country. White domination is still alive and well in this country. Uh, but, Keith, I cut you off, and you were just getting ramped up talking about the fact that they have no business quoting Dr. King. Go ahead and finish your point, brother. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things I was going to mention is that there was a poll done in 2011 when Barack Obama was president. Mm -hmm. And the poll showed that only 30% of white evangelicals uh, said that an elected official could fulfill his public duties if he committed an immoral act. An immoral act. Mm -hmm. That's only 30% in 2011. Then, five years later, when Donald Trump wins the nomination for the Republican Party, <laughs> they went back and asked the same question. <laughs> and suddenly... 72% of white evangelicals suddenly said that it doesn't matter if a politician commits immoral acts in, in office. The same people who are willing to hold Barack Obama to the highest possible standard were willing to completely ignore it with Donald Trump. Mm. This is after all the, the, you know, the, the pee grabbing and everything else he was talking about and the adultery and everything else, the lies he was engaged in. Back in 2016, it was clear then that this was a fraud. You know, I was I was watching TV earlier today. I was watching CNN, I think, or MSNBC. And during a commercial break, I saw Franklin Graham on TV mm. selling something or another. I, mm. I don't know what he was selling, but I immediately turned the TV on mute because I, I, I know that he's another one of these Trump supporters. Mm. And I do not understand how these people who call themselves pro-life, who call themselves believing in family values, who believe in Christianity, can can say this while they're supporting somebody, Donald Trump and, and others, who are antithetical to everything they say they believe in. But I think there's another issue here to have, and you know this better than anybody, the, the way that black people practice Christianity is not the same way that white people practice Christianity. And, and for black people, we have a liberation theology tradition, mm -hmm. a, a tradition of using our, our faith as a way of, of saving us and, and not as a way of repressing us. And so I, I, I think for, for a lot of white Christians, uh, I think they're part of that same legacy, white evangelical Christians, not all of them, but some of them are part of that same legacy of the people who defended slavery and segregation. Yeah. You know, Jerry Jones, I don't know whether he considers himself a Christian or not, is the Cowboys, is Dallas Cowboys uh, general owner, and, and you know, there's a photo that comes out of him essentially being a part of the group of people who were trying to stop the, the Little Rock Nine from entering the school, and he just shrugs it off and people move on. Yeah. Let me. There's so many double standards in our society in the way that white people are judged, the way that black people are judged, and this is just another example of that. Speaking of double standards, and since you mentioned Jerry Jones, let me let me just give a shout out right quick to LeBron James. Uh, I I could have done this a couple of days ago and just never got around to it, but since you mentioned Jerry Jones, you bring it back to my mind. So again, speaking of double standards, LeBron, you may have seen uh, said the other night after one of the games. Uh, you know, the press always has access to the locker rooms after the game. Uh, and LeBron um, uh, you know, said to the reporters the other night as they were walking away, so the, they were basically done talking to him as they were walking away, LeBron says, and I'm paraphrasing, hey, guys, hold, hold up one second, hold up one second. Um, I've been waiting for y'all to ask me a question about the Jerry Jones photo. <laughs> 
and, 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 and in all these questions, y'all have not gotten around to asking me, giving me a chance to uh, sound off on the Jerry Jones photo. Now, when Kyrie got in trouble in Brooklyn, y'all couldn't ask me enough questions about Kyrie. But I've been waiting on y'all to ask me just one question about Jerry Jones and this photo of him in this crowd of white folk taunting these black students as they were trying to enter Central High School in Little Rock, where he grew up. None of y'all have gotten around to asking me a question. And as you might imagine, Keith, there was radio silence in the locker room when when LeBron raised that particular <laughs> issue. So I just want to shout LeBron out. I mean, LeBron. Le- LeBron fascinates me, and sometimes he does things that I just it just tickle me. And it was a be- but it's, it's a beautiful thing to see athletes uh, express themselves. And people don't always agree with LeBron, and I'm not sure LeBron and I always agree with each other. But I, I love these moments where these athletes take the platform that they have um, to press um, these issues that need to be pressed about so many of the double standards in our country. And that's why they say, just shut up and dribble. They don't want that coming out of LeBron's mouth, so just shut up and dribble. But I thought it was powerful, powerful of LeBron uh, the other night to make that particular statement and to make this comparison, uh, again, about this double standard between them pressing him on Kyrie and demanding that he comment on that. But nobody wants to give him a chance to comment on the photo of Jerry Jones in the audience, uh, this crowd rather, in, again, in Little Rock. Speaking of, speaking of double standards and speaking of Donald Trump, um, back to the issue that you raised earlier that I want to give you a chance to respond. I love how when I talk to you, you raise your own questions. All I'm doing is circling back to things that you've raised, Keith, that I want you to answer. So you said earlier in this conversation that you aren't sure even after last night. And to put a finer point on it, before I ask Keith this question, the preface is this. Donald Trump lost big last night when Herschel Walker lost because Donald mm-hmm. Trump recruited Herschel Walker to move from Texas back to Georgia to yep. run in this race. And there are any number of candidates, as we know, across the country um, that Donald Trump picked and supported who lost. So here again is another loss last night. This one, as Donald Trump is already on the campaign trail, trying to become president again in 2024. So the issue you raised earlier uh, was whether or not after last night we will start finally to see uh, them sort of uh, backing away from this love affair that they've had with Donald Trump. So you you tease that, and I respond to it. <laughs> yeah, I did tease that. You said something else that I, I want to get to real quickly before I get to, to uh, Donald Trump. Sure. Uh, when you mentioned uh, LeBron James, I, I also want to mention Brett Favre. Yes. Because Brett Favre was essentially stealing money from black people that was mm-hmm. meant to go to, to poor black people in Mississippi. That's right. Uh, and... That, they just swept that controversy into the rug after a few days, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Colin Kaepernick and Kyrie Irving, we hear all about them forever and ever. That's right. So I, I do think that we, we do need to have some sort of consistency in the reporting. Goes on. But going back to Donald Trump, you know, I don't think I've been saying this for, for years, well, well back, well before he ran for president the first time. Mm-hmm. I don't think Donald Trump wants to be president. I don't think he wanted to be president last time. I think Donald Trump cares only about one thing, his own ego. And the only reason he declared his candidacy for president, we know, I believe, well, I can't say we know, but I firmly believe it's because he was trying to escape an indictment from the Justice Department. Yeah. And so a few days after he announced his presidency, his campaign for president, then we found out the Justice Department appointed a special counsel to, to go after him instead. Um, and Donald Trump is basically the head of a of a criminal enterprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a mob boss, essentially. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, his own company was indicted. The first time in history, a, a, a former president's company has been indicted, not indicted, but convicted, mm-hmm. uh, convicted of a crime. 
Uh, and so the idea that the Republican Party would still hitch its wagon to Donald Trump after he's lost the popular vote in two consecutive presidential elections and, and, and led an insurrection against him and led them to, to, to lose the House and the Senate, and they won the House back barely, but not because of him, in spite of him, but led them to lose power and lose seats uh, and historic losses uh, is a reflection of just how brain-dead and corrupt the Republican Party has become. They have they've become afraid of their own shadow. They're afraid to speak up against Donald Trump because Donald Trump represents all of the the worst demon of the Republican Party uh, that they have been quietly uh, trying to encourage for the past few decades, but trying to keep an arm's length and keep under the under the wraps. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump came and exposed all of that. And and now they can't control it. It's, it's, it's Dr. Frankenstein and the monster. And Donald Trump is the monster they have created. The problem is, it's not just Donald Trump. I heard somebody say recently that, well, you know, Ron DeSantis would bring a return to normalcy for the Republican Party. Ron DeSantis is just Donald Trump with a, with a law degree. Ron DeSantis is essentially the same person as Donald Trump, but he's just more clever in the way he is able to articulate his his views and ideas about it. But Ron DeSantis is is just as threatening in, in the in the stunts and the political chicanery that he engages in, uh, I think, as Donald Trump. And perhaps he might even be more threatening because at least he understands how government operates. Donald Trump didn't. Yep. If Donald and- Trump understood the way government operated, he could have essentially orchestrated a coup to take over the entire country uh, in 2021. Very quickly, in 30 seconds, and we'll continue in a moment. Um, The other thing that, to my mind, Keith, I want to see if you agree, that makes DeSantis more dangerous for me, which is the same thing that makes uh, Mike Pence more dangerous for me, although I don't think Pence has a chance at this point. What What makes DeSantis more dangerous for me, though, is that unlike Trump, he is, in fact, an ideologue. Trump's not an ideologue. Right. That makes sense to you. That, that, that's exactly that, that's exactly my point. Donald yeah. Trump does not care about the Republican Party, but right. that's the reason why the evangelicals had this this unholy relationship with white evangelicals had this unholy relationship with them because they knew that they could get him to do whatever they wanted him to do because right. he didn't have any political beliefs. Right. He's been a Republican. He's been independent. He's been libertarian. He's been all the place. But he's he's been a Democrat. He, Donald Trump only cares about Donald Trump. I don't even think he cares about his family, except to the extent that it, it might reflect on him. But yeah. Donald Trump is willing to tell anybody down the down the river to protect his hide. Yep. Keith Borgen's most recent book is called Race Against Time, The Politics of a Darkening America. When we come forward, I want to ask him again, given what we saw last night, uh, given that Donald Trump is back in the race for the White House, um, given et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, where he thinks we are right now in this present moment, in the race against time vis-a-vis the darkening of America. You're listening to Keith Boykin on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Interrogating your assumptions and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Keith Boykin on KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, Keith, uh, I loved your book when it came out. Um, I heard you on the Quarterlize show. Had a great conversation uh, with him, the two of you did. Um, I didn't get a chance to interview when the, when, the, when this text uh, came out, uh, as we've had many number of conversations, of course, over the course of your career and my career. Uh, but I got the book, and I read the book, and I love the book. Uh, it's called Race Against Time, The Politics of a Darkening America. Um, the question I want to ask you is where do you think we are right now? I mean, you know, every, you write these books, and you've written many, and I've written many, and it's always fascinating for me to talk to authors of books 
um, you know, a little a, a, sometime after the book has come out, right? Sometimes years later, and you ask them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had Joan Walsh on the program the other week, and I was asking Joan mm-hmm. Walsh about this great book she wrote, you know, ten, twelve years ago, and asking her mm-hmm. where she thinks we are now, given what she had to say in her text then. So, given what we saw last night, that the whole nation is talking about, where do you think we are right now in this race against time, vis-a-vis the darkening mm-hmm. of America? Well, this has been a long struggle. I don't know that we're going to have an answer to this question anytime soon, but uh, my book came out shortly after uh, the insurrection mm-hmm. last year. Exactly. And so, I mean, I'm not, I, I think we're I think we we're, we're dodging a lot of bullets right now. I mean, we could have had a, a, a crisis of democracy just a month ago. If, if a lot of these election deniers had won, or if more of them had refused to accept the results and the Republicans had gone along with that, that could have created an, another crisis of democracy. But I think we're just kicking the can down the road right now. I can see this happening again in the future uh, because there is a, there is the kindling wood has been put out there. And all it needs is someone to, to light a match to, to get it started again. Um, and, you know, Carol Anderson writes about this in her book, um, White Rage. Yes. That the, the, the trigger for white rage throughout history, the, all the massacres and violence and lynchings, has always been black success. Every time black people accomplish something, uh, there's a, a reaction, a backlash from white people when Barack Obama was elected, when, when uh, the Civil Rights Act was passed. Uh, and so I, I think we're going to continue to see that as black people make more progress in the future. But I'm also wor- worried, though, because I don't think that, uh, that a lot of us really fully understand what we're up against. I don't think that just the passage of time is going to make everything better. And Dr. King warned us that time is neutral. We have to use it constructively, but it can also be used destructively. Mm-hmm. And we have to use our time knowing that just having more black and brown people in the world is not going to create a better, safer, more just world. We have to actually create laws and policies and do things to make that happen. It's not going to happen on its own. Yeah. Um, in our remaining moments with Keith Borkin, um, and by the way, Carol Anderson was just a guest on this program, and uh, he, he's quoting her book, uh, White Rage. It was a great conversation. That's why I love the fact that all of our programs, once they broadcast live on terrestrial radio, become podcasts. And all of our podcasts are stored. If you did not hear the conversation we have with Carol Anderson, you must uh, go to our platforms, check out the podcast of that conversation. You will not be disappointed in our dialogue uh, some weeks ago here on this program with Carol Anderson. But when we come forward in our remaining moments with Keith Borkin, uh, I want to ask him a question about um, what he makes of these African-American first. He said, as we continue to, to do things into the future. So Raphael Warnock made history last night. Uh, we're celebrating Karen Bass this weekend with a big block party here in Limerick Park. She made history, uh, is making history here in yep. Los Angeles. And so I, I want to get his take on politically uh, what it means that we are still making history in some pretty monumental ways. Keith Borkin's final comments when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. As I said a moment ago, Keith, uh, we're celebrating uh, with a big block party. Welcome home, Mayor-elect Karen Bass. A big event here in uh, Lemert Park this weekend featuring the mayor-elect uh, on stage with us live this Saturday, 11 a.m. The events from 10 a.m. Uh, to 1 p.m. Uh, great performances from Brian McKnight and Guapale and Club Nouveau. It's going to be a great day in Lemert Park this Saturday celebrating Karen Bass. But she makes history in L.A. Raphael Warnock makes history last night. We're continuing... Uh, given the opportunity uh, to show that we can govern and not just govern black people, Keith, but govern writ large. Keith, I lose you. Keith, 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 Keith. 
Did you hit your mute button? Can you hear me? Can you I hear you now. I hear you now. I hear you now. I, I, I was speaking and then I was going to realize I was on mute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On, I, I forget the mute uh, buttons. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We 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 have, we've done this over the course of the past few decades. Of Barack Obama being elected, Kamala Harris becoming the first Black woman vice president, Ketanji Brown Jackson being uh, nominated to the Supreme Court and put on the Supreme Court, Karen Bass being elected the first Black woman uh, as the mayor of Los Angeles, Raphael Warnock, as I said before, the first mm-hmm. Black United States senator, Democrat elected from the South. But I think you know there's some there's some warning signs. One is that representation does not equal results. Yes. Just because we elect somebody doesn't mean that 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 is going to change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, two is that we have to hold our leaders accountable even after we elect them. That we can't just. Uh, vote for somebody and disappear for two, four, six years and think that everything's going to be okay. If they don't do what we like, our job, since we hire them, is to make sure they do do what we like. That's right. They can't just check out and say, well, they didn't do what we wanted, so I'm not going to vote again. The system's rigged. That's not effective either. you got to hold them, hold their feet to the fire. And third is that we still have a lot of progress to go. It's a shame that we're having all these firsts in 2022, and we still have things that we haven't accomplished yet. There's still no black owners of NFL teams, for example. So we have have to stay engaged. We can't just rest on our laurels and say we've accomplished this. We we dodged this crisis and that crisis, so we don't have anything else to do. I I hate to quote this person because he's a notorious uh, enslaver, but it's important to to state this. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Nope. And um, while he was enslaving uh, Sally <laughs> Hemings and others, um, he hey. understood that we that, that our liberty, whomever he was referring to, it doesn't come on its own. That we have no. to fight for that to make it a reality. Well, as my as my big mama said, uh, I take your point, Keith. A broken clock is right twice a day. So Thomas Jefferson can be right, <laughs> <laughs> even as he's enslaving <laughs> Sally Hemings. Keith Borkin would fit uh, quite nicely here at KBLA Talk 1580. You heard him say a moment ago that representation does not equal results, and that we have to hold all leaders is accountable and that's why we run this promo all the time that we are unapologetically progressive but we're holding all leaders accountable to you keith borkin good to have you back on thank you for your time sir i appreciate you his book is called race against time the politics of a darkening america we'll talk again soon keith happy holidays my friend thank you you too tavis my pleasure to have you on hour two of tavis smiley after news traffic and sports on kbla talk 1580